And now, a few minutes with two of my friends who will soon be yours, the Techie and the Cowboy. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of the Techie and Cowboy. This is actually the second of a two-part series that we're doing on everything that's going on in the world. It's different times with uh, with COVID going on in the world right now and with all of the racial tensions that are going on in the world. We decided to take a little bit of a, a curve from our normal Techie and the Cowboy topics to be able to address some of this stuff because I think uh, from both a Christian standpoint and just both from a, a human being standpoint, I think it's important to talk about this stuff. So with that being said, we brought on one of our good friends and also was a former guest on the Techie and the Cowboys. So TW, will you introduce our guest, please? Yes, I'm happy to introduce to you again, Jaime Garcia, who's the pastor of Bethel Baptist Church in Houston. I did a couple of mission trips uh, from our church to Houston during the hurricane relief and have gotten to know him. And in fact, he and I text as prayer partners once a day. So I'm, I'm very happy that uh, he's here to talk to us today. Man, thank you for having me on you guys' uh, show. And uh, man, it's just an honor here to, to be with y'all. I think the very first thing if our audience could see us is that they see the, uh, the motor, multi culture uh, that is in this picture in, in my Zoom. Uh, I'm seeing a guy white as white can be. I'm seeing a, a guy that is definitely black, and I'm uh, right in between you guys, you know. And uh, I think I think this is a great picture of what heaven's going to be at, because the reality is is that, that there's only one one color is going to be in heaven. And I uh, thank God, and I think that's one of the things that that we need to do, and especially during the very difficult time of uh, of unrest in our nation, is that we need to start looking at people uh, from the inside. Because that's how God looks at us. That's how, that's how God measures. God does not measure anybody from the outside. He measures the hearts. And I think if I think most issues would be settled if we would look at people's hearts and who they are as a person. Yeah, that and that's also if we had more conversations like this one, where it is that you could come openly to a safe space and just talk about your perspective, your experiences, respect the other person's perspective and experiences, and then move on knowing that you've been changed and plant little seeds, you know, here and there, right? Uh, I think there's a lot of talking going on right now and not a lot of listening. I think that's a big part of the, the issue as well. So that's what we're here today to do is just to talk about, you know, just different experiences. And Jaime, I know from from your experiences, both being in Houston, Texas, and you both being a Latino as well, uh, and the different run-ins that you've had with the, being on both sides. I remember from your first story, by the way, if you haven't heard the first podcast that we have with him, we'll put the link inside of the comments, but you got to go check that out where he tells his full story of how it is that he came and he had family members that went the other direction. Like he went one direction toward the ministry uh, and it was blessed that, that, you know, he was brought out of that situation and, and where he is now having such huge impact is, it's just a profound story. Uh, but talk about that. Talk about that, that those experiences that you had and those run-ins that you had both then and even now uh, with doing stuff on the right side of the law, the experiences that you and some of the people that volunteering that you work with have uh, as well. Sure. With, with the, uh, the, my brothers were the ones that were having those, those issues. I have a brother that's in prison. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up and uh, I was a student pastor, and just to see them uh, take the wrong direction, the wrong turn, uh, you know, th there, was, there was already this unity in our community. And, you know, uh, even this unity and racial uh, tensions was happening within the gangs. I mean, they were happening. It doesn't have to sometimes be with color. It could be with status sometimes. You know, somebody's rich, somebody's poor. 
uh, you know, we were born on this side of the track, they're born on that side of the track. Uh, but the reality, it all comes down to still one thing, and I'm always going to narrow it down, is the heart. It's the heart of people. So I think the approach has to be definitely very, very different. As a pastor, uh, of course, my approach is to is just to love people regardless of who they are. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it's easy, okay? Uh, I tell you what, God called us to love people, but I tell you what, there's a lot of people I don't like. I just don't like them. I just, I'll be honest with you. It, it, it could be their demeanor. It could be how they go by doing life or what they stand for. I just, I don't like that. I don't want to be associated with that. And, and I think that's one of the also promises this is that I think the key word is transparency. We're just not being transparent. We're like you said, we're not talking about these things. We're not talking about these issues. And we're walking side by side with all people, all races, of all colors, of all backgrounds, of all status. And we all have this agenda, but nobody wants to talk about, you know, how do you bring the people together and uh you know i think you know your show like this is something that is very needed uh as a fact, this is the first time i actually get to speak about this and so i'm i'm blessed and honored that i can come to you guys and and speak about these issues because uh it is serious you know as, as i was growing up uh, i had to deal with with some uh, racial uh situations from from the anglo community uh, like i told one of my kids in study school and i, was, I told a story about an anglo uh, that I grew up in an Anglo church, and he's, he was white, but this little kid was from the hood. He said, Brother Jaime, can you tell me what Anglo is? I go, Mike, that'd be you white. Okay, that's you. He goes, okay, carry on with the Bible study, you know. Uh, but even him being 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 white, growing up in the hood, he didn't understand some things about the Anglo community because it, it, to, to him, we were the same because they grew up in that generation. But when I was growing up in that generation, I faced those issues that, that were so difficult coming from Mexico, raised in Brownsville, Texas, coming to Houston and in a, in a predominant English community. We're the first Hispanics in our community. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, I can tell you the good and I can tell you so many bad horror stories that came from uh, whether even in church. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of my first experiences that I can recall of racism in the church you're like seriously yes uh, my mom was a single mom and we went to this all anglo church and uh, a little hispanic you know we're again we're one of the few hispanics there we showed up and only one person came and said hello to us and it was one of the deacons out of the whole entire church my mom says we're not going there but then we ended up going to another church down the block literally um, half a mile down the block and we went to this church and as soon as we went to church, it was the same thing. It was all an Anglo church. I did tell my mom, hey, mom, in the choir, look, they have a Mexican. It was a man with black hair. Later, come to find out, that was my mentor today. My mentor today, that was his dad. And what happened, he was white, but he dyed his hair black. And we thought he was Hispanic. So I told my mom, look, I think God dyed his hair so we could be comfortable in the church thinking that he was Hispanic. Just hilarious, man. <laughs> it's hilarious. But but let me tell you, gentlemen, that church was all white, half a mile distance between the other church. What was the difference? This church took us in. They loved us. They raised us. They took us to camp. They showed us. I'm where I'm at as a pastor and serving this community because of a church that did not see color. They saw hearts, and they saw they saw a, a need, and they saw a family. And that was probably one of the most precious things. So I saw it on both sides. And, and guys, 
I'm not talking to you about downtown Houston. I'm not talking to you about a school. I'm telling you, this was going on in the churches, in the churches. Let's fast forward to just a couple of years ago when I became the pastor. Uh, well, maybe five years ago. I've been here eight, five years ago as a pastor when I came to Bethel Baptist Church. At that time, it was a predominant older white congregation. We started a Spanish mission. And I'll never forget in the fellowship hall that one senior adult lady, Anglo, turned to me and said, Pastor Jaime, this is an English church. Please talk English. We're talking Spanish. I was talking to a senior citizen that came to our church. I want to talk to her in Spanish. I said, oh, okay. I turned around and continued my conversation in Spanish. That lady left our church because of that. But I want to tell you, when you do the right thing and you stand up for what's right, because you know what? We're going to speak whatever language to, to speak to people to serve and to reach them out. We're going to reach, we're going to reach them out for, for the gospel. And, we're going to, and it takes courage. See, a lot of people hadn't stood up to this lady because she was one of the biggest givers. And we lost one of the biggest givers. But no, I don't see it like that. I see that we have to do what's right and what's righteous, and God will prevail. God will take care of this. This woman... Uh, at her deathbed, I got to visit her about three months ago. Not a member of our church. And I'll never forget walking away. She was not uh, coherent and walking away. And I'll never forget her daughter said, Opal, this, her name was Opal. Opal loved Brother Jaime. And I got to hear that. I got to hear that. And even months right before that, she saw what we were doing with Harvey Community. And she started to send financial help. And that, why? Because you know what? God, God made a change in her heart. But we had to take a stand. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing people to open up, take a stand. Today is one of those good, good conversations. Oh, what a powerful story. I mean, especially whenever it shows that people can change. And that's what I love about the active conversations that I've been having is that these are people that truly want to know, A, if they've done something wrong, or B, how can they change it in their heart? I had a young lady after it is that uh, I did a Facebook Live about my situation and gave the four points. And after it was, she was, and I, I applaud her so much because it took a lot of courage. She approached her dad. She realized after hearing the, my podcast that she probably grew up in a more racial uh, household than she thought, that she remembered. She started running the different scenarios to her head and approached her dad about it, who was very open about his, his past thoughts and his current thoughts about race and racism, what was going on. And she was blown away because what I think happens, Jaime, is that people have this rose-colored glasses that they see their life through. And if there's anything that might taint that, and rather than challenge that, they rather just push it aside. Because then that changes everything that I might've believed or grew up or you know, had thought about. And rather than deal with that, or rather than deal with my parents like this young lady did, I'd rather just say, oh, no, 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 no. It couldn't have been that bad, right? Uh, but she took it on. And then it ended up getting in a big, I wouldn't say argument, but a conversation with her dad. And she came to me afterwards, she's like, I don't know what to do with these, these feelings because when we left, it was not okay, but we just agreed to disagree for the moment because it was, it was getting kind of heated, but she said, I'm going to have to approach him. I'm going to have to talk to him again. I have no clue how it is to be able to approach the situation or how it is to be able to deal with all these feelings, emotions about my childhood and everything in the past. Uh, but the fact that she took it on, I told her she was extremely brave to do that, especially with somebody like your dad, you know, authority figure in your life who it is that, you know, taught you lots of, and she was, she said, I was daddy's little girl too. So it was really hard for me. Um, but these are the type of conversations that have to happen. And she may, may or may not plant a seed in her dad's mind that maybe things should be, have been done different or are different, or maybe a leash 
she realizes that she took the the stand and changed stuff in her own life, which is an amazing thing. But these conversations aren't going to happen if it is that we don't, like you say, take a stand and challenge people to do that. So, I mean, I think mm. it's, it's awesome that you told the story of the lady whose heart changed and uh, and end up being one of your supporters after it is that you took a stand. That's brilliant. That's amazing. Yeah, good for you for that. All right. So when it talks to, I always like to talk about moving forward. Right. We know that there's a lot of racial tensions, and unfortunately, there's people on both sides of the issues that are taking advantage of this, which is what what bugs me the most right is that people are politicizing it for their benefit people who it is that are, are using it for their benefit to try and get more leverage and whatever else we won't talk about all of the organizations out there that are just taking advantage of the fact that there's tension so they're keeping the fire burning right so they can get more donations and more people hey look at me if you're looking for some place to donate i'm the one right uh, so there's that on that side as well but how is it that the people who it is that want to be able to make a change want to be able to make a difference and they want to be able to to see things really shift what is what are some things that that individuals can do well, i'll tell you what we are in the midst of this uh corona uh virus this pandemic and we have started what we call operation share hope today and i told our church that if we're going to be a, a, a church that's going to be a community church uh, with the hurricane we were in the front lines so we were out there even before FEMA and the Red Cross. We were, the, and what I mean by that, the church as a whole, we were being supported like with Johnson Ferry uh, Church uh, where uh, T.W. goes and, and, and we were helped and people came. But right now, I, I had told my wife, there's no way we're going to get any help because uh, everybody's affected. So we took a little pantry and we started to pray and ask God for favor. That pantry is so full right now. It's so full. So what we've done with that pantry is that uh, we have used it to make a bridge and for the community. So we are in the inner city. So we get to serve everybody from all different backgrounds. Uh, but watch this. Here's the neat thing, because we also have this division with, with the police and, and the community, uh, uh, with uh, Black Lives Matters and what, what happened with that incident. And so many other things. Uh, look at this, uh, this young lady, Gayin. That, uh, that was murdered here not long ago. She was Hispanic. So you started to see a lot of that stuff surface. So one of the things that as a pastor I try to do is because I love people and I love our community. That means people that are in uniform and people that are not in uniform, whoever they are. So we uh, were able to gather over 2,000 boxes of produce. And uh, we, we contacted um, the police department here, the Houston Police Department. And we were to able to get an amazing group of 12 officers to work with us as volunteers. And I had them actually give out the food themselves to the community. So we were bridging. So I was just, just to see a, a, a white officer with, with a, a black elderly or a Hispanic officer helping a white man driving in because he needed food. And the, I think the most beautiful thing that our church was able to do is to unite the city. And I'm, I'm grateful for Chief Acevedo here in Houston, our police um, chief that, that, that approved that. And they were able to send us guys uh, to, to be able to do that. The other thing was this. It's so easy to put negative stuff on Twitter and, and put things that, that are going to really rile up people and really uh, just bring it to one side, you know, divide the people. Uh, I think if you're going to display something, you need to display something that's going to bring the people together. So here's, what, here's where I'm going to leave you my second and last story. Uh, just two days ago, uh, I went through a very tough neighborhood, which is just down from the church. The third 
uh, most difficult uh, community in the whole city of Houston with murders and homicide and theft. And just a half a mile down the road on airline across the murders, there was a situation. And I do Jaime news on Twitter, on Pastor Jaime Twitter. I, I do a lot of reports with Jaime news and storm chasing, but I capture moments so that people can see and, and maybe even get involved and help. In this case, I drove and I saw a lot of black people just coming from all over the place because there was a lot of police officers. Something happened at this cornerstone, a uh, corner store. Something happened, and I'm not sure what happened, but there were these white police officers that were undercover. They had the tactical unit, regular HPD officers. But what I witnessed was amazing. As the crowd started to build, because people run into there in this neighborhood, they're running, the mobs were coming. These officers, man, they took this situation and they handled it so with so much profession. I saw something that was beautiful. They were conversing. One officer had a lady to the side that were just talking and another. And uh, yes, I think there was an arrest, but I think that these officers did something beautiful and there were all white officers in the black community. Across the street, a sheriff officer stood, stood there and looked at this and guess what he was? He was a black officer. And he was just watching. He didn't even have to get involved because here's a great picture to show us that it is possible. It is possible whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're brown, whether you're uniform or not uniform to have cooperation and to have this unity that we're human beings and to deal with things in the right way and to talk to people the right way. Because a lot of these things sometimes escalate is because somebody speaks to somebody and they, they speak to you like they're up here and you're here, instead of speaking to you as a human person, they, they, they go the other way. But that day I experienced, and I put it on Twitter, and so many people were so uh, encouraged because I saw and I witnessed what can be, not what, 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 what could have been. And what I saw and what can be is more conversation, is the tone, is how we communicate, is treating each other as human beings, whether you are on on a uniform or not in uniform. And I think that is what I want to be able to continue to show the community that we can do that and we can be proactive and find opportunities like that. You dropped what I like to call a golden nugget or, you know, a point that I don't want people to be able to miss there, which was the litmus test that you can take everything it is that you do that you put out there in social media and run it past. Is this going to unite or is this going to divide even more? Right. If you were just to stop and think about anything that you post, period, on social media, anything that you're about to say or whatever else, it, what, what is the end goal? Is it to unite or is it to divide? And just doing that small test before it is that you post something. And if it's something, I get it. I mean, whenever you're angry, you're angry. Like whenever that police situation happened, I purposely gave it 24 hours before I posted because I didn't want to post out of anger. It would have been a whole different post than what I did if I hadn't taken that 24 hour and processed it. And even after, before I posted it, I ran it across my mom, who's like a super prayer warrior, right? I think she has a <laughs> direct connection somehow, some kind of direct line to God and very, very in tune with the spirit and ran it across her and, and a couple of people that I know that my spiritual mentors, because I wanted it to be able to come off right. You don't have to go that far, but just doing, is this going to cause more division? Or is this going to bring some unity and some healing right. to this world? I think is a huge, huge thing. Absolutely. And that's, and you know, of course, this is believer. We understand that. And what we need to do is just to try to even take that message to the people. And, and I think we have to live that by example. 
I, I think that you could say all you want, you could post all you want, but when the when when the the the, the issues happen or when you deal with them, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to be part of the problem, or are you going to be someone that's going to be able to help diffuse the problem? Uh, just across the street from my house, uh, three weeks ago, because there's so much tension right now. There's so much tension, and it's not, not just the pandemic, but there's so much with the job losses and the insecurity and unknown of the future, but then with everything that has happened with all these officers and, and then you wonder what, what are some of the things that might've happened that were never captured or nobody witnessed and how far could these things that have been taken. And I think this beautiful thing is that because, uh, you know, there are cameras, we can capture moments that are good and, and, and sometimes sadly that are bad, but so that the truth can prevail and justice can prevail. But uh, I saw this other incident and there was a gas station and I parked there and, and I walked up and I noticed that the lady was filming and she was hysteric and she was crying because they had her boyfriend on the ground, six officers. They were black, they were white, undercover. They, were, they had him because he had done something in the store, was trying to steal something, went to try to strike something, I don't know. But the, mat, the, the point was that I went beside this lady because she was furious, she was filming. And I said, ma'am, it's going to be okay. I promise these officers are going to do the right thing. They're going to take care of them. We're going to resolve this. We're going to see what happened. There are cameras up there, plus you're filming. And, of course, this is what was kind of funny. She goes, she started crying. She goes, I'm actually, my phone doesn't work. I'm just faking it. I don't have no video. You know, but she, she, was holding, she was holding it up. So when I got I got the, uh, the, the main police officer, the lieutenant that came, the supervisor of the whole scene, he was black. And uh, and uh, and he was talking to both of us. He said, he "said Ma'am, calm down. We're gonna get this. I'm the highest ranking officer, and we're gonna make sure that justice is done." Everything. It was so awesome to see this guy was so professional and so it, it just trying to calm it down. And then the funny part came out because the truth. He goes, "By the way, your video. You were video to me. We're watching you. It could help us. Can we see that video?" And she said, "Well, I'm sorry, but my phone doesn't work." Uh, I was just faking it. She goes, and, and he didn't, he didn't laugh or anything. He says, "Ma'am, it's okay. We have enough footage up there. We wish you wanted to see if you had any. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Just stand right here, and we'll we'll get it taken care of." Uh, but once once again, uh, it's, it's 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 what are we doing at the end of the day when we find ourselves in situations? And it doesn't have to be something to get to that point. It could just be conversations. It could be you walking by. And uh, my, my wife says, you're nosy. I said, no, I want to try to make a difference, okay? I call it different. And uh, because you never know what you're going to speak to life to somebody, uh, give them some clarity of how somebody could feel or perspective. Sometimes it's just perspective. They're seen in another way, but they meant it another way. And what we do, we have to do, we have to be advocates of the truth, advocates of, of righteousness, of, of justice. And that means involvement. And we cannot stay silent. We got to get involved for the purpose to help others. I love that you said get involved because I just I brought up another question in my mind. I was trying to figure out how to transition. You did that perfectly. So we have a lot of people who it is that want to be able to get involved. You know, we have the, the pandemic that's going on right now with COVID and everything else like that. But they're fearful of getting involved, like getting out there and getting in the community and everything else like that. Because of course you got the news that's perpetuating fear and you have all this different stuff like that. Uh, how is it that you can, can speak to those people about you know, moving past all of that, being safe, but at the same time, the importance of getting out there and, and making a difference. Absolutely. You know, a lot of times we think about involvement as uh, you have to be on scene. 
you have to be in the front line. You don't have to. Uh, the very first thing I tell our church, you, you get involved by praying. By praying. Uh, you could get involved by supporting financially a movement of cost for us. It's making sure people have what they need. That is food. Right now, people are hungry. We haven't lost jobs. So you can get involved uh, in, in that way. And then, of course, uh, you know, I think it's, it's very important that eventually some, some of us, if not all of us, if they can, to, to, to be intentional. For instance, my desire this May, uh, July the 31st, when we do our unique student conference via stream, and I'll be reaching out to six to 800 students via stream in the state of Texas and the Louisiana. And our desire is this, is that every one of those groups that are watching, for them to do some kind, we're going to challenge them to do some kind of community project. These are students, whether it's painting graffiti, whether it's taking groceries to people, whatever they want to do creatively, they can do. But in Houston, we're going to rally and we're going to go down there to City Hall and we're going to do the P, the pray. We're not going to protest. We're going to take 100, 200 students so that we can pray for our city, our mayor, our police, our officers, our, 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 our community, everybody, our Houstonians. Right after that, what we're going to do, not only just pray, now we're going to do some action. We're going to go to one of the hospitals and we're going to do a balloon release. And we're going to call the attention of all these nurses and doctors, tell them how much we appreciate them, how much we love them. We're going to go to fire stations, to police stations, tell them how much we appreciate them, trying to connect. And young people, we need to connect young people with these entities because it is this generation, the young people, I don't know if you noticed, but a lot of the protests are very young. And when they don't have guidance and they don't have direction, they're going to do the things that we shouldn't be seeing on TV, the looting and those kind of things. So we need to uh, disciple them. You know, the world calls it educating. We need to disciple them in the right ways and how to react when there are situations. So our goal is to take young people to show the world that there are young people they have been disciplined. They want to do the right thing because we can invest in this generation when the next pandemic or the next wave surges and comes, we're going to have a generation of young people that can hold their ground and they could, they could uh, make good choices. And, and uh, yeah, you want to protest, that's fine. You have to right, but you can do it right without having to do all those looting and all those things that happen. They can hurt so many people. Oh, you're speaking right to my passion, mentoring young people, just because I had such amazing mentors in my life. And I know how, and you too, you talked about the different mentors in your life that made all the difference in the world. Uh, being able to do that for somebody is, is the most powerful thing that you can do. So yeah, I encourage everybody to get out there and definitely make a difference in the young people's lives. All right. So talk to, talk about how it is, if they want to be able to, whether they're in Houston or not, if they want to be able to support some of the things that you're doing, talk about how it is that they can connect and get in contact with you or, um, you know, some of the organizations that are out there making a difference. Absolutely. Well, Unique Student Ministries has taken the, uh, the lead here uh, in conjunction with my church, but it is young people that we have, uh, we have a movement. Anytime I do uh, any kind of uh, opportunity, whether it's a rebuilding or painting or distribution, it is the young people that are here. They're the ones in the front line. So if you want to support this generation, you go to uniquestudent.org. And uh, there's a page there. You can read about what is happening in Houston and, and how we're, we're, we're able to help people uh, through, through discipling and through teaching and mentoring. Mentoring is one of the corners of our ministry. It's not just a conference. It's not just missions. It's not just the discipleship part, but it's the mentorship. It's, made, it's, it's being available for these kids. So when they call you, uh, for instance, uh, I'll, I'll leave you this story of, of a young man that was so invested in. This is why we want you to go 
to uniquestudent.org and if you're able to help and donate, we'll continue to do what we need to do. But uh, this young man, uh, as a grown man, said, thank you. And I said, for what? He goes, you answered the phone. You answered the phone. I said, what do you mean I answered the phone? He goes, when I was uh, 16, 17, I called you at 2.30 in the morning and you answered the phone. I said, well, of course, I'm going to answer the phone. You called me, you woke me up. Okay, and I had to answer the phone, you know? He goes, yeah, but you don't understand. That day you ministered to me. Yeah, yeah, John, I ministered to you. I pray for you, but what's the point? I don't get it, okay? And by the way, you woke me up. Let me remind you. I did go back to sleep, but thank you very much. But I hope that, you know, that, that you know, I love you. That's why I did it. He goes, Pastor, you don't understand. I had a gun on my head. I had a gun on my head. You answered the phone. You answered the phone. You, what you said and what you prayed for me, it allowed me to give you the courage to put this gun down. And I'm alive today and I have a family today. And so today what I want to do for you is you tell me, how much money we raised during the week of the conference. And I want to match that. I said, John, that's a lot of money. He goes, no, understand. you made a lot of difference in my life. And I want to give back so you can continue to do what you do best and help us and help this generation. And that was life changing. So I will tell you for your listeners, answer the call, answer the call. And what that means is whatever needs are out there, be a 10. I tell people, you need to stop. You need to listen, but you need to react. Do something about it. Stop long enough so you can listen to the needs of the people and hear their cry and hear their heart and their brokenness and their division, whatever it is, but then react and do something about it. Be proactive. And what that means is going to be this. You're going to have to sacrifice some time. I could be home right now, but I'm here with the volunteers. Why? Because I believe that Serving is the greatest joy in life, and we need to serve each other. Until we learn how to do that and do it well, okay, uh, we're going to see this stuff go on. But when you serve people, it changes people. So, my friends, I encourage you to serve one another. T.W., you have any final questions, comments about this whole uh, conversation, the situation? <laughs> we... Well, no, <clears throat> this whole thing makes me, of course, think about what it is that uh, I am doing since – I'm the odd minority out here. Uh, my personal plan, since I'm not active, you know, on the front lines of our church, we do participate in the uh, this podcast. But I'm thankful that uh, LA Fitness has opened up again, and there seem to be about the same 50 people that rotate through the gym on the days that I go. I'd say about 25% of the members. And of course, there's people on staff are black, and I make a point of engage, engaging in conversations with as many members as I can every time I go there. I usually wear a shirt that lets them know that I am Christian, and so I I talk to everybody equally, and I want by that way of doing to let the, those members who are black to know that there are white guys that will talk to them. Although I can see that there's two groups of them that have black, white mixed and they're a group that works out together. So they're already getting this kind of feedback, but I want to make sure that that's perpetuated with everybody. This one guy who yet wears these shockingly yellow shorts with shirts or with shoes to match. I started the conversation by saying, you know, I could never pull off that look. That <laughs> yellow on me doesn't do good, but on you, man, 
you know, it really works. And he laughed. He said, my son gave these to me and he makes me wear them. So we started <laughs> off with a laugh. And so we just nodded each other and I'll say hi. We'll say hi now in the gym. But well, because of his shoes, but because of the encouragement that I've had from you and uh, you, Jaime, to engage at least one person at a time. That's what it's all about, man. Planting the seeds and and uh, showing that there's there's a bridge between. And what you may be doing is unraveling what it, whatever stereotypes it is that they have on their heads on both sides, right? Um, so I appreciate you for that, TW. That's definitely a step in the right direction. Well, we appreciate you so much, Jaime, for coming on the show for the second time. Always amazing, and then we we hope to continue to have you on here so we can continue to have these these conversations. And uh, we encourage people to get out there and support you in any way that we can because you're doing some big things out in your community. So appreciate that. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. God bless you. With that being said, this is Alistair Hunt, the techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, a.k.a. the Cowboy. Did we give you a name last time you were on our show? Everybody that comes on has to have a nickname because I'm the techie. He's the Cowboy. But I think all of us forgot it. Magic Mexican. (laughs) Magic Mexican. (laughs) The story behind that, my, uh, my host basketball team in high school was all black. I was the only Hispanic probably in the whole school. And my friend Tellis walks in the gym with all these black guys, and he says, hey, man, Magic Mexican is going to tear all you guys up. I said, well, shut up. What are you doing, man? These guys are good, man. So I said, let's get out of here. Let's go to the park. So that was my nickname. That's been my name until this point. Magic, Magic Mexican. <laughs> so, so let's do our call, uh, let's do our outro again. So this is Alistair Hunt, the techie. This is T.W. Lawrence, the cowboy. And? Come on, Magic Mexican. That's how I mean. <laughs> we're out let's roll that outro music (laughs) that's it for this episode join us again next time for the techie and the cowboy hit us up on our website thetechieandthecowboy.com let us know what y'all think